one of the things that's important to know about this part of Matthew's Gospel is we skip a little bit uh, from where we left off last week. Jesus has been teaching His disciples and the crowds in these parables. Right? Parable of the mustard seed. The parable of the wheat and the weeds. These different parables. The beginning of chapter 14 takes us away from Jesus teaching about parables and tells us the story of the death of John the Baptist. So that's what sits in between last week's reading and this week's reading. And I'm sure thankful for whoever designs the lectionary that they didn't give us the killing of John the Baptist today because that would be a bit of a downer uh, to uh, dive into together. So just uh, it'll come into... um, It'll come into effect here. It'll, it'll start to affect Jesus and the disciples. That news will. Uh, you can see even verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, the this that he heard was the news of the death of John the Baptist. So just a little context as we head into our reading for today. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, heard of the death of John the Baptist, they followed him on foot from the town. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, twelve baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Beloved family of God, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. We read this story, and at the very beginning, it, it seems like Jesus just needs a little bit of time for himself. You ever been in a place like that where things get a little too overwhelming? There's been a lot of energy output. You just need a little time away, a little time to recharge. He'd just been given this horrible news that his friend, his co worker in the kingdom of heaven, has been killed. His co-worker in bringing about God's ruling activity here on earth has been murdered. One of the things I loved about Pastor Aaron's sermon last week is that little reframe of seeing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It was great. She said, anytime you hear the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God in the Gospels, one way of translating that that may help us to think of the kingdom of heaven not so much as a a place where we go, but as something that happens here and now. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like, it's as if He's saying God's ruling activity is like. Or when God acts, it is like this. 
I love that. I love that way of thinking because then it opens up these stories in new ways. And I think it helps frame this reading for us this week really well. John the Baptist has been murdered by Herod. And we see this turning point happen in Jesus' ministry. Because I think it brings to the forefront the threat against Jesus and the disciples. The threat against them by those in power. It's been there the whole time. But now it seems reinvigorated as John has been executed. So Jesus hears this news and he withdraws. And the crowd hears of it and they're distraught as well. They need to hear a word from Jesus. So they follow on foot. They're lost in grief. They're wondering what this means for them and their teaching. They wonder how immediate the danger is to them too. And they know that the only place they can go is to where Jesus is. And so they go. And they wait for Him. Matthew tells us that Jesus sees them and has compassion on them and then does what He does best. He sees them in all of their shock and their grief and their fear. He sees them longing for a word of hope or for some encouragement to continue going forward. And so He walks among them. He heals them. He consoles them. He speaks to them. He He's with them in their grief in a way that brings new life. He does this all day long. The sun is about to set, and the, the disciples, they're starting to get old. They can hear their stomachs grumble a little bit. They're starting to get hungry. They could sense from the crowd that the crowd might be getting a little hungry too, so they want to do the responsible thing. Give the crowds time to get back to the villages to buy food, to buy dinner, so that they can satisfy their hunger. So they ask Jesus to send them away. They don't want to deal with the crowds. They don't want to deal with the logistics of feeding thousands. <laughs> it's a sense that it's too big of a responsibility for them. There's not enough, right? They don't feel up to the task, but Jesus refuses to send them away, and instead His response is, quick and clear. They need not go away. You give them something to eat. How many of you have had like this semblance of a stress dream? Right? Where like you're asked to do something that you just don't feel capable of. You're asked to, to do something that you just, you, you can't possibly prepare yourself uh, enough. You don't know where to start. You have 50% of the skill and 0% of the capacity to pull it off. You have the, the final exam and you forgot you were registered for that class. You have, right? Like, there are all different versions of this kind of uh, stress dream. Can you imagine Jesus turning to the disciples and say, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Right? Instead, it's a call from Jesus to remain together. They don't need to go away. We're better when we are together. We can figure this out together. You can do this. It's like He's telling the disciples. Even when the needs of the whole group might seem too great to satisfy. It's 
in community with one another that we find what we need far better than we ever could on our own. And Jesus knew that about the crowd. We're better when we are together, when we can figure this out as a whole rather than everyone breaking off to their own needs and their own devices. And in remaining together, we find new ways and new possibilities to join with each other, to participate in what God is trying to do among us. But that next command is a profound shift. You give them something to eat. They look down at their resources. Okay, we have five loaves of bread. We have two fish. Okay, and then they look up at a hillside of thousands and are wondering what to do. And you can hear their excuses at first. You can almost hear their excuses start in their head. The job's too big. We don't have enough. There's no way we can work it out. They get stuck in this limited imagination loop that says there's never enough. And we know this feeling too, right? When we're tasked with something that seems impossible, when we see a challenge before us and we just don't know what to do, or like living in our modern world, it's not just one challenge, it's about 15 challenges standing before us and we don't know which one to tackle first, it's easy to get overwhelmed. I think we feel this when we look out at the needs of our world. You can pick an area of suffering, an area of need in our world, whether it's global hunger, war, cancer, and other illnesses, domestic violence, addiction, food deserts, and housing insecurity, the worsening effects of climate change, not having health insurance or adequate access to medications, rampant gun violence, the list goes on and on. Anyone feeling overwhelmed? Just listing those things off. Where do we go? What? we do? How do we even start? When we're faced with all this, it can be easy to throw up our hands and be discouraged, and no one could blame you. It is a discouraging list of things in our world. But I want us to look closer at what happens after the disciples fear. So what Jesus does here so Jesus gives them a task, gives them something to eat, gives them a charge, gives them a mission. Disciples respond with an assessment of their supplies. It's not a bad place to start. Take a look at the resources you have right around you, five loaves and two fish. And finally, Jesus gives them the solution that they are craving. And it's in this little sentence that in the midst of the story seems to be uh, a little bit lesser, a little bit easy to forget. Jesus gives them the solution they're looking for, and he says, bring them to me. Bring them to me, he says. You can almost hear the disciples breathe a sigh of relief. Oh, thank God we don't have to do this alone. <laughs> bring them to me. And then notice what Jesus does. He takes the bread and the fish. He blesses it. And he breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. 
Do you recognize that pattern at all? He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. From our communion liturgy, right? Every week we say these words. Every week we tell this story. He takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples. He says, if this feast that satisfies the hunger of thousands on that hilltop is looking ahead to another feast that Jesus will have with his disciples. In a lot of ways, it looks both ahead and behind. This is an embodied parable of the mustard seed, right? Five loaves and two fish are this small kernel of a seed that are surely not enough to feed everyone. It satisfies and frees them from their hunger in ways that they were not prepared for. Just as a few chapters later, Jesus will take bread and bless it and break it and give it to his disciples, as he does here at this table each week. Jesus does that same thing. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it to his disciples, and his disciples give it to the cross. And it's through that act that there is enough. And not only enough, right? They gather up all the leftovers and there's 12 baskets full of leftovers after everyone has eaten their fill. It's in these verses where thousands are fed that we are shown a new way forward. That we learn again our responsibility to care for one another and to lean into God's trust in God's promise to provide always with God's help for the needs of our community. We see the miracle that comes when we renounce that message of scarcity, when we say, okay, we trust you, Jesus. We don't know how you're going to make a feast with these five loaves and two fish, but when you say to bring them to us, we will. And all ate and were filled, and they took up what was left over of the broken pieces. Twelve baskets full. Friends, in our life together, there's more than enough to face down whatever challenges may come our way. If we scrape whatever we have together, whatever ounce of patience, whatever ounce of hope we have, whatever ounce of love, in our community, whatever ounce of faith and mercy and justice we can scrape together, we do that and we bring it to Jesus. Jesus calls us to gather what we can muster, every ounce of strength we can muster, every ounce of everything we have, and He says, bring it to Me. And we do. We turn to God in faith, offering what we have, offering everything we can scrape up, and we allow God to bless it and multiply even the smallest of gifts. That's how miracles happen. We scrape together what we have, and we show up. We bring it to Jesus. And Jesus does what He does best. Satisfies the needs and the hunger of all. So we say thanks be to God. Amen.